Welcome to Bible Study for Progressives, a show where moderates, liberals, and leftists of all faiths and ideologies come together to discuss scripture, spirituality, and politics. I am your host, Robert Stanley. Today, we are talking about the existence of ghosts. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, gentlemen. Dr. Ben, Ben Davis from AskDrBen.com, uh, and that's also a Facebook group as well, right? It's actually AskDrBen.org. .org. Yes, the Facebook group is the more uh, active thing. You typically uh, teach nuclear physics, but right now you're teaching physics and uh, astronomy. Is that correct? Physics, astronomy, engineering, whatever they let me teach that I think is fun. <laughs> that's great. We're also joined with Rich Presida. From Bible Study for Progressives. Rich, every time you come on the podcast, it, it's a fascinating conversation. Well, I guess not the first time. That was a little rough. But the, the last time, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. It's good to have you back, sir. All right. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. I think the first one was interesting, too, but boy. <laughs> ben, if, if you missed that one, it was... Do you remember Sean Yankee? You did, I think you did a 9-11 episode with him once. I'll never forget Sean Yankee. <laughs> well, he got mad and, uh, and hung up on Rich and... <laughs> Yeah, well, funny. I kicked him out of the show, basically. <laughs> I like you already. I mean, you know, that's, that's a bonus point for you right there, before we even start. So yeah, HuffPost uh, took a poll of 1,000 people. 45% believed in ghosts, but 43% of that percentage said they think that they, they are harmless ghosts. Let's see. Survey by Realtor.com says 30% uh, would go into a haunted house. That's interesting to me. So that means 70% of people polled would be afraid to go in a haunted house, Ben. That's crazy. I know you Even though even though supposedly 57% of them don't believe in ghosts. Yeah. So clearly there's a little dishonesty in this. And and it could be a little embarrassing for some people, I think. But I I, I see you going to like graveyards all the time and live feeding that on Facebook. That's kind of interesting. Not all the time, but I've certainly done it. I've always said, you know, I don't necessarily believe in ghosts. I don't see any evidence for it. Being a scientist, I would love to see evidence for it. Yeah, yep. I'm wondering how you know that evidence would that you would change your mind if you were confronted with evidence. Because basically, I've been very, I've been educating people about propaganda, disinformation, political cults, and stuff like that. And and maybe I'm just frustrated, but I'm coming to believe that people don't change their mind based on facts and evidence. That nobody does that. That everybody sees what they want to see. Everybody hears what they want to hear. The name of it is confirmation bias. That yep. everyone has confirmation bias. Nobody, I mean, it's very, very rare that even when confronted with evidence, people will not change their opinion. And we've seen that here. So I don't know how, how you would say that you would change your opinion when you're already firmly set in your position. Well, I wouldn't say I'd start by not saying that I'm firmly set in my position, but I completely agree with what you're saying. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation just last night with some of my friends about how I'm wondering if I even need to keep doing the Facebook thing because people do believe what they want to believe. They, it doesn't matter what sort of evidence you give them or what sort of facts they give them. They, they stick to their guns and 
I don't understand it. That's not the way I operate. That's never the way I've operated. But I understand that that's what most of the world seems to do. And I read an article not long ago that, you know, most people view debates as sort of like a legal proceeding. And as long as they win their case, they don't really care about getting at the truth. They just want to win their case. I guess I understand that mindset because I certainly have family members that sort of operate that way. But I don't really understand it either because I think all of life is about understanding what's really going on. If it's really there, I want to know about it. Well, the thing that brings that question to me, because, I mean, there's plenty of evidence out there. I mean, people have been investigating it. Uh, there's evidence on TV. It just seems to me that you simply reject that evidence rather than actually. I mean, and that's OK, because um, it doesn't really matter uh, what you believe or what you don't believe. That doesn't really matter. But what does matter is that you maintain an open mind and you look at the evidence and actually consider it. So there's plenty of evidence. It just seems to me like you've rejected it already. What, what, what evidence? I'm curious. Like, can, can you give it been an example maybe of something that you would well, say? Well, I mean, there's so many programs on like TV. Ghost Hunters. Not, I'm not saying everything, but it's right there on television. There are groups around But they never the find anything. <laughs> no, they find a whole lot of stuff. And, and that's the thing. It's selective seeing. In other words, you choose to reject everything that they have found as not evidence. You must not have a good idea of what evidence is. It's just that it's there. You just don't see it and you don't recognize it and you don't accept it. But it's there, tons of it. I've been a part of that. There's a difference between somebody who says, I don't believe something, and then somebody who says, I'm going to go find out. And that's really the difference. And I'm going to actually look at the evidence. But there's plenty of evidence out there. I'm not saying that it's conclusive evidence in one way or another. I mean, I think there's a lot of problem with trusting evidence. I think even scientists sometimes fake it. There's even facts. But it, there's a lot of difficulty in trusting it. But it's there. And well, you know, it's funny because uh, you say this and Robert asked you exactly the same question I was going to ask you. What evidence? Because I have watched some of these shows before. I've even gone to the, the conventions and talked to the ghost hunters before. And one of the stories that I tell is there was this, we, we did one of these ghost talks and, you know, we talked about evidence and all of this. And there was this really nice lady at the end of the talk. She came up to talk to me and she says, you know, I see ghosts every day. I don't know what you're talking about. I've taken pictures of them. So, you know, I look at her and I said, you have my interest. By all means, show me these pictures you've taken if you've got them on you. She says, oh, yeah, sure. And so... She pulls out her smartphone and she she shows me these pictures of a house with a window and what looks like really to me dirt on the window at best. Uh, they're spots. They're not even a human form. She says, you see, you see this person here. He's talking to his girlfriend and, the, you know, it's, it's obviously ethereal in, in its form. You can see through them. So they're not solid people actually having a conversation. And Annie's standing there with me. That's my wife. And she's looking at the same pictures I am. And neither one of us see the first thing like what this woman is talking about. We see some spots of dirt on the window, and that's literally it. So she's seeing something I'm not, quite evidently. And um, I don't know what to say to that. The data doesn't seem to bear that out. And I feel like if I'd shown that same picture to a 100 other people, they wouldn't have seen anything either. But she sure saw something. So yeah. there's your confirmation bias right there. 
Yeah, I, I, and I think obviously we need to evaluate evidence when it comes in to determine whether it's, because while I said there's plenty of evidence, not all of it is very good. Some of it is good and some of it is not. And that's what I think a scientific approach is. Take it on a case-by-case basis. That's how we do it in law. There may be some evidence that's bad. There's people out there who are willing to see evidence that's not there. But then there's other evidence that's good and that's strong. I have a picture. You can take a look at it. It's on my blog at modernlectionaries.blogspot.com. And the title of the article is The Ghost of Dead Man's Park. And that's the best evidence that I've collected. But what I found that I'm watching these programs, obviously there's some evidence that's no good. There's some programs that are no good. There's some programs that have no evidence whatsoever. But what I found is that if you go ahead and go out and actually do these investigations, you start to collect the same type of evidence and start to have some similar experiences as those who on the program. So that's what I found by going out and actually doing my own investigations. I found that to be the case. I found plenty of evidence and plenty of experiences. And that was an attempt to actually go out and seek out and try and find out. And I'm very happy that I found those things. It makes me feel a little better. What would you, you find? I'm curious. Right. Like I, I know we'd have to read, read your article, but I mean, just like, like an example of something really awesome that you came across. Oh, well, the most awesome evidence I have is a photograph that I took. It's combined with an experience. So sometimes things like this happen where you get a photograph, you have an experience, and it, it's connected. But in the photograph is a very tiny little orb. Hmm. And what I like to do is to blow those orbs up, to take a close look, you know, expand it. And in that orb is... And it's very clear. It's very distinct. It's not something like smudges on a window. There's this creature, okay, first of all, which seems to look like a demon. And then there's this man in a hat with a mustache. With It's like a military uniform going down the arms. You can see the gun in his hand. And so to me, that's very clear evidence. And you can look at that. The only thing I did with the picture was change the contrast, increase the brightness, try and bring out what's in the photo. And you can look at that photo. You can download it yourself. You can invest if you're a photo expert. But that is the strongest evidence that I've collected. And you, you saw this this guy and you took a picture of him? Or this is a picture no, you came across? No, no. I felt something go through me. I turned around and I snapped the picture. Wow. Right. And you got orbs. You know, orbs, you, you have to distinguish between what's dust and what's an orb. But orbs seem to interact. I have one picture where we were walking through an orchard and that was haunted. Number experience, a lot of evidence we collected there. But we asked the ghost or spirit to take a picture with us. And I put out my arm, you know, hoping to get this full-bodied apparition around me, which I didn't get. But what I got was an orb right in the crease of my arm, right where my elbow is, hmm. upon demand. So they interact upon demand. You know, I don't. So, I don't believe in, in ghosts myself, but Doctor Ben, you got to admit that's that's pretty creepy. It's creepy. I have a ghost story too. I'll I'll tell you at some point if you like. But there's a lot of things here that I'd, a lot of questions I'd like to have answered. I mean, I'd like to see the photograph to begin with and know exactly what we're looking at. Of course, I'm going to be interested in the resolution of the camera and all kinds of stuff. You know, as we go forward. But 
if you take it at face value, sure, it, it definitely sounds like something's going on there. Yeah, it was a regular camera. It wasn't a high. It wasn't high resolution, but it was just a regular camera. Film but I camera don't know or what it is. I think it was a digital camera. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, so it's these types of things that support it, and my opinion and my views, my own personal experiences, and the evidence I've collected. And you do have to look at the evidence itself and take a look at it. And I, I think you'd be impressed with that piece of evidence when you do look at it. I certainly don't mind looking at it and, you know, giving you my reaction to it. And the problem with taking, I, I, it's, it sounds great to say that you have to take all the evidence and look at it, evaluate everything in its own right, but that's very time consuming after a while. We can't always do that. That's part of the problem here. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Everything I've looked at, I have to be frank here, everything I've looked at, I've, I've not been impressed with. And it's not because I haven't wanted to, to see it and believe it. It's just, can't you get this ghost to stand still for one second and take one good picture somewhere, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of times, and I find this with atheists a lot, is that there are two extremes. It's either impossible or it's easy. And it's neither. It's just like you're doing a scientist. I mean, it's time-consuming to conduct experiments. I mean, scientists conduct experiments over and over and over again because they keep failing. And so it is time-consuming to do this. And it's very difficult to build a team of people who actually want to, because I believe if you're going to do a ghost investigation, you should publish your results. And people don't want to go through that effort to do it. And since I've already had my experiences, I've already collected my evidence, um, maybe one day I'll spend a bunch of money and get some good cameras and stuff and do it again. But I've already had my experiences and collected my evidence, what, so I don't really need to. Wouldn't this be, this would have to be the biggest conspiracy cover-up ever. Like, if ghosts were real and we could actually investigate and find this out with the amount of effort that you've applied thus far, let's say, we would know it like it would be it would be all throughout academia it would be it, I mean, it would be the biggest piece of information we've ever found I mean, it would it'd be huge like the, people would have to be keeping this a secret intentionally you know like some kind of illuminati level operation or something like this that would this would be the biggest deal in human history if we could prove ghosts well there's the i think his name was thomas coon he wrote a book on scientific revolution and how science comes to new positions and it's not like there's first there's a lot of resistance against the current worldview and that resistance and what we have is ridicule we have people don't even want to say it because they get dismissed as incredible so science does not necessarily work in a way in which the evidence comes and everybody suddenly now has to face the truth there's a process, a revolutionary process in which something over time, things suddenly, I, get, I haven't read his book in a long time, but they change suddenly, but not until the evidence is so overwhelming that they have to change. And that's what he argues, I think, in his book. Dr. Ben, would you say that um, Rich, Rich has a point there that maybe... Well, I'm chewing, I'm chewing on it. I think there are a lot of things that people have push back against because it goes against their basic understanding of the world. And, you know, there's maybe nothing beneficial in them even acknowledging it. From a scientific point of view, people were very slow to fall in line with 
general relativity, and they should have been. In, you know, this is we're basically saying gravity is not a force. We're saying time is another dimension, and it's the bending of space and time that even causes this effect that we call gravity. That is, you know, on its surface, an insane thing to say without a lot of uh, evidence or anything to back it up. And it took a couple of decades, even after Eddington went and, and took the picture of the, you know, the solar eclipse and showed that the starlight literally moved when the sun was in front of a certain star field. You know, so there was there was some pretty immediate results that said this is actually right. What the guy's predicting is actually working. And still, it took the scientific community another 20, 30 years before everybody said, yeah, the guy's right. As crazy as it is, it actually works. So I kind of get where he's going with this. But in the same token, there's not a lot that I think we're missing here. I don't have any reason to believe that I can suddenly become a, a historian and an expert in history because I can go out to the graveyard and summon these ghosts and have conversations with them about the time period they actually lived in. It would be earth-shattering if I could do that. And somebody should want to do that, if it's a possibility, if, it, if there's a method that can be used to make that kind of thing happen. Then somebody ought to be all over that, even if the, the whole community as a whole isn't. I, I think people are doing that they, and have done that. And actually, I've done that. And what they use are digital recorders, and, and they're called, and you've probably heard of them, electronic voice phenomena or whatever it's called where they may ask a question and you get a specific <laughs> response on the recording. People use more exotic tools like a spirit box and you get actual responses. You actually have a conversation with something. But don't um, you don't you think people would be using this all the time? We would we'd be able to solve every murder. It, it, there there's definitely a motive behind wanting to have this kind of information. So it wouldn't be as elusive to us as you're describing, in my opinion, because who wouldn't take advantage of this ethereal realm that you're talking about? I mean, but maybe we could, it would change physics altogether. It would, but it I, would be right in front of our faces if it was real and somebody would have to be covering it up. I don't think so. But I think that, I don't think anybody has to be covering up because denial is not a river in Egypt. I mean, Everybody has points of views. We look at the Q people and what they believe. So people are going haywire in every direction. So, But I think one of the things is that there's an entire community of people. I mean, I mean, tons of people all around the world are as if they're all crazy. And really what this is, is this is the modernist project. And it's really only in the Western world where we have this huge difficulty and this huge atheist movement. In this global South, you know, spirituality and spirits have been a part of their reality for a long time. But we're caught in the modernist project where somehow people believed that belief in the supernatural was somehow going to just fade away. And I like to call that the failed hypothesis. And I think other people have used similar terms for what that is. Instead, what we have is people around the world having experiences and a whole large community of people who do mediumship, psychic development, divination, they do ghost investigations. And that's not, then we're not talking just about the people who believe things. And we got whole communities of people who practice Wicca. In fact, I think the New Age movement is probably the largest religion in America. So we've got tons of people and this it's just 
picking on and ridiculing faith communities, people because of their religious and spiritual beliefs, uh, and sometimes because of their experiences. And I think we, I think it's a huge waste of time because <laughs> I don't think spiritual people, people who believe in the supernatural, are a threat to anyone. But somehow in the modernist project, we got this idea that people who believe in the in the supernatural are somehow a threat. They've done nothing to anybody. You guys don't have and a even, great track record, right, Rich. <laughs> even religious, even religion. I mean, are you really thinking are the Methodists a threat or the Presbyterians a threat? No. And when you talk about those threats, what you're really talking about is politics. Because the first 10,000 years after, well, more than that, we were just everybody believed in Christianity. Christianity was the state or religion and politics were so intertwined. There was no difference. When we separated the state from the church, we did not end the violence. All we did is hand that power and authority over to kings and dictators and the violence, the atrocities, the abuse continues. So I, it, we don't have to have a religion to kill people, as Reza Aslan says. We just do it. And so Fuse accusation against Christianity is, in my mind, really an accusation against the state. The state is the most violent actor. We have the most oppressive actor in, and not that I'm an anarchist or anything, because I think we need government, but I don't think that this, I think this idea that somehow religion is a threat to humanity is a false, and it, it, it's become a prejudice but hold on. against religious people. Of, of course, nobody would say that something is a threat or a problem when it has no power, when it's harmless. You know, I mean, you, you could you could uh, use the analogy of a pedophile. You'd say, oh, well, you know, pedophilia is not really a problem as long as the uh, the guy doesn't act on it. And sure, technically, you're you would be correct, I guess, just because all he's having is dirty thoughts in his mind, maybe. But in that sense, it's still a major problem. We're just talking about like whenever it has power. You, you get to see the results of that problem, right? In the, in the same way that, uh, yeah, uh, religion isn't really that, you know, it's it's harmless as long as we don't let them have power over our government, as long as they don't get to make laws preventing others' civil rights based on their beliefs, right? Their, their religious beliefs. But so, yeah, it would, it, would be, it would be obvious that when something has no power, it's not harmful, but that's why we're saying that it hurts people, because whenever you indoctrinate a child, that's someone that has no power in that situation. Or whenever you're telling somebody that they're sinful, um, that they've done something wrong and that you have the solution for it, you're taking advantage of someone in a moment of weakness. Yeah, We need secularism and, and secular laws to prevent these religious people from doing harm. That's 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 actually what's keeping not maybe guys like you, but a lot of your crazy religious buddies at bay. Yeah, and do you think most of the politicians today aren't religious? Like, do you think, I mean, they all, you know, bend the knee publicly, but I can certainly see that, you know, that could just be an act. Do you, do you feel like most of the people in Congress, for example, aren't Christian? Hmm, that's a good question because the way I define Christian would exclude most of the Republican Party. But yeah, so basically, I don't, well, you talked about a lot of things, and the pedophilia one example, well, I think that's really more about removing temptations, um, removing oneself from 
the temptations and taking responsibility for one's own conduct. It doesn't mean that you take away power, but if, if a person does commit a crime, sure, you have to punish them and take away access. Um, but I don't really see how beliefs can be separated from one's politics. In order to say, oh, these people with their beliefs, they shouldn't be in politics. But that's going to take, that's basically just um, de- you know, taking them out of politics, deinstitution. I don't know what the word is, but disenfranchising them mm-hmm. from the political system. For the I, wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that either, by the way. You were the right. one that said that you think government is, you know, the source of most of the badness in the world. And I'm simply asking you, do you not think the people that run the government aren't religious to begin with? Right. And so I'm trying to get to that because um, I got a whole lot of things. So beliefs don't, you know, there it's inevitable that your beliefs are going to affect your decisions and your politics. There's no doubt about that. And poor beliefs do do that. Now, as far as religious people being in power, they have every right to be there. You know, when when you're dealing with see religion and politics are not separate. They've never been separate. They're not separate now. They will not be separate in the foreseeable future. So it's really difficult to sort of separate. You're conflating the state action with people's beliefs. And what the state does is that so it's supposed to be a democracy where we act collectively. And yes, our demons are. Our personal evils are expressed collectively through politics, and there's no doubt about that. And if that evil is based in a false or religion, then yes, that evil can spread up. But if that evil is based on on greed, or um, some people might say capitalism, I'm not a socialist, but if it's based on um, hatred, bigotry, racism, yeah. That's going to have an effect if people are voting in order to commit heinous acts, in order to oppress people of color, in order to kill people, in order to punish those that they disagree with. I mean, that's horrible. So, yes, there are religious people, but there's nothing in religion that dictates that a person is going to be good or evil just because they have a religious belief. So. That type yeah. of idea that because people have religious beliefs, they shouldn't be in politics just simply does not work. And the idea that somehow religion itself is the cause of all this evil when there are plenty of causes of that evil outside of religion. And sometimes religion is actually has a good effect. It really depends on the person. And yes, those politicians are phonies and yes, they're liars. And yes, they're manipulating people. And this is my big thing. I'm so pissed just- off. Just before you people be manipulated. Yeah. Well, well just, just before you get to, to that point, and, and I think Ben and I would, for, for the most part, agree with your opinions on politics, at least. But I wanted to ask Ben if maybe he had an example or, or, or if he had something that could prove ghosts don't exist, or at least that we shouldn't believe that ghosts exist. Because we, we had asked you if you had some evidence and you said that you actually had a personal experience with a ghost oh, yeah. sighting. And then Ben said that he had one as well. But Ben, is, the, is there anything that you would present that you'd say, here's some good reasons not to believe in ghosts, maybe? Well, I, I actually, uh, I think a lot of what we're hearing is good reasons not to believe in ghosts because a lot of what's being said here is, okay, people are flawed regardless of what their religious beliefs are. So the only way that you can really get anywhere and run anything is through an objective approach. 
that everybody sort of says, yeah, I, I can see what you see here, and I agree that this is the right way to go. There is no better way to do this. Democracy may suck, but it's the best system we've got. I, I still believe that. So the only thing we can do is come at all of this stuff as objectively as possible, regardless of what we want to believe. And that seems to be where a lot of people fall down, whether they're religious or not, by the way. You know, I, I agree that there are bad actors in, in the atheist community, just like there are in the religious community. There's no debate there. Not with me, anyway. So do you want to hear the ghost story? Now, this doesn't prove ghosts don't exist, right? I can't prove I can't prove anything doesn't exist. You know, I can't prove that Thor doesn't exist. Right. Uh, you know, but I don't think he does. But I can tell you the story if you want to hear it. Sure. So, all right, when I was 14, I was a carpenter's aide, and we were working on this old farmhouse out in the country. We were restoring it, and it actually sat empty for, let's say, 30 years. I don't remember the exact number. But let's set the stage. There were already a lot of rumors about this place, and it was an old, spooky-looking house. It looked like it came straight out of the Amityville Horror. That was kind of uh, architecture. It was, it was built like had these really steep rooftops and stuff. And this was Memphis in the summer, so it's 100 degrees in the shade. And we got all cute, and we decided, let's run a bunch of floodlights on the rooftops and shingle, reshingle the house at night, because that was step one, you know, to keep the water from leaking into the house, you know, reshingle the, re-roof the house. And uh, it's a lot cooler at night than it is in the daytime. So we're going to run all these floodlights, and we're going to come back out at 11 o'clock at night, you know, after things have cooled down, and we're going to... We're going to get all the shingling done in the middle of the night. So there's only, you know, temporary power wired in, basically a single breaker or a couple of breakers and a single junction box. And we had all these floodlights hooked up. And so we go out there, we plug the floodlights in, the roof slide up. We think this is great. We climb the ladder, we get up on the roof and we get ready to start nailing in the first shingle and bang, the, the lights go out. And we're like, shit, okay, somebody go reset the breaker. So we climb down in the dark and on these treacherous roofs, and we get down to the breaker, and we reset the breaker, and the lights come back on. We wait a couple of minutes this time, and it's like, okay, it, everything looks okay, so let's go back up there. And so we get back up on the roof and get ready to start shingling again, and what do you know? Just as soon as we get back up on the roof, hammers in hand, you know, ready to go, the lights go out on us again. And we're both looking at each other, me and my brother. It's just the two of us out there. We're both looking at each other going, okay, that's just weird. So we get down, we unplug a couple of strands so that we're not pulling quite as much current through the circuit breaker, and we reset everything, and we wait another 10 minutes, and the lights stay on, and we go, okay, I think we got it this time. And we get up there, and the third time, lights go out on us just as soon as we're getting ready to start work. And we're like, that's it. We're going home. We're not, we're not even – I don't know what's going on here, but we've had enough, right? So we crawl off the roof one last time. We reset the circuit breaker so that we can turn on the lights on the interior of the house and get our tools and walk to the nearest gas station, which is a mile down the road, and call his call my brother's wife to come and pick us up because we're not staying out there for the night. And we reset the lights. We plug in the strand that's got the interior lights on it, and I'm walking through the front door, and I see this shadow confronting me in the front door. looks just like a man in a top hat. And it's, it, you know, it, my brother says all oh, the blood drained out of my face. He said I turned white as the sheet. And I just froze. And he saw it, and he said, fuck this, I'm out of here. You know, and he, <laughs> he turned to go. And 
I would have done the same thing. Mind you, I'm like 14 years old, right? I would have done the same thing. I'm not, I wasn't particularly brave or anything. I was standing there frozen in fear. You know, that's, that's the deal. But at some, I had just a couple of seconds for my higher brain to kick in and go, what are you doing, dude? The shadow's not moving. It's not speaking to you. It's not coming at you. It's just a static shadow on the wall. And yes, it looks like a man, but wait. There's a light bulb in this windowsill, and there's a banister on the stairway. And look, there looks like what looks like an arm rail going out of this man's back. So that's nothing more than the the stairwell, the the post for the banister being projected. It had this lovely crown molding on it, so it was flat on top, and it had like looked like what a brim of a hat would look like, and then it had what looked like eye sockets and a nose and a mouth. And so all of that was just projected on the wall at a certain angle to just happen to look like a man in a top hat in profile. Perfectly, by the way. I mean, it was it was really good. And had I mustered the energy to turn around and run just two seconds earlier, I would still be telling that story today that I saw a ghost and it had run me out of this old farm, old abandoned farmhouse out in the woods. That was a critical two seconds, as you might imagine, in my life, you know, because Eventually, I figured out that, that it's a freaking shadow. That's all there is. I still can't explain why the lights kept going out on us, which is what freaked us out in the first place, other than it's just how electricity works. You know, the circuit breaker got warm, and that made it more susceptible to tripping, even though we disconnected some strands from it or whatever. And the fact that the lights just went out, even after we waited, once we got up there, we can presumably write off the coincidence. So I'm sitting here presenting the facts to you as clearly as I can from, what, 40 years ago now, 40-something years ago. You know, so there are some things that even now you, you sort of step back and you go, uh, that was kind of weird, you know. But it was just coincidence, and it was just a shadow. At the end of the day, it was just coincidence, and it was just a shadow on the wall. That's all it was. Right, and we call that debunked, right? The investigators... Um, we'll look at that and and we'll examine it and find out what it really is. And I've also had experiences that I question. I had an experience in a church where a guy told me I was going to see Jesus. And next thing I know, I was slain in the spirit. I was on the floor and there was Jesus and I saw Jesus. But I said to myself, you know what? This is likely hypnosis. There was another incident where some lady said that she could call UFOs. And so she had us looking up in the sky, and sure enough, there was these little lights way up in the clouds. I said, what the heck is that? And then I thought, well, I'm looking up. Everybody's looking up, so maybe I should look down and look around, but I didn't want to be suspicious, so I started to look down, and then she came up to me, and I saw her point my, her finger back up to tell me to look back up, and that's when I said, you know what? I don't know what's going on here, but... If she has to direct my attention back to looking up at the sky, then there's probably not real. So, yes, we, we have to take a very critical view when we conduct investigations of what actually is happening and, and take a critical look at the evidence that's part of the investigation process. But ultimately, I don't think it matters what you believe about that. I mean, it's just a matter of whether you're going to do good or do evil and, and what's in your heart. But I think you are right. We try and be objective. But politics is also about values. And so um, and I'm not sure that everybody who defines what objective is, 
And if defining what injective is means denying or ridiculing the experience of, of millions of people and billions of people throughout history, then I don't think that's the right approach either. I mean, yeah, we agree with that. I mean, nobody here is ridiculed or denied anybody today, right? Well, the, the point I'm trying to make there is more that people have their own experiences and they're the ones who um, can take a look at that experience. Of course, we can help them critically examine those experiences, but there is a lot of ridicule and there's a lot of shaming and a lot of stuff that goes on. Not here today, but that makes people not even want to talk about their experience and yet people, oh, yeah people are loud so i mean you know the the fellow we were talking about earlier was basically we were talking about what were we talking about that day robert uh, uh 9 11 oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 9 11 theory and yeah. he, he he and his friend were basically trying to shame me into just being some kind of dumbass that couldn't see the you know the forest for the trees kind of thing uh and that was his whole mode of operation so, you know, I, I don't like that any better than you do. You yeah. know, that's that's for sure. Yeah. Shame, shame can come in many forms from many different places for sure. But gentlemen, thank you so much. Fun convo. I don't know. I don't know that we necessarily proved or disproved ghosts today, but I did enjoy listening to the two of you talk about your experiences with it. Uh, find Rich Proceda at Bible Study for Progressives and find Dr. Ben at AskDrBen.org. Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you. you it's great fun. Thank you, Ben. Thank you to Dr. Ben and Rich.